0: It's always a blessed day when someone is baptized and follows in obedience to the Lord's uh, command. We are uh, continuing in Romans chapter 8, and um, this part of the chapter uh, is about suffering. It's about uh, trouble that we face in our bodies, in our life, and so we want to go over that uh, fairly, fairly carefully. Uh, Today happens to be the second anniversary of an event in my life where my oncologist called me by phone and said, Don, I'm so sorry to tell you, he said, you have stage four cancer, there is no cure, and I'm just terribly sorry. Uh, We know the end results of that story, don't we, this past week. I went in again for uh, testing and for blood work, and there is no trace of cancer. And so I just give thanks and praise to the Lord, um, and thank you for your prayers as well. So, we, um, just as a quick summary, I don't want to go into every little detail of uh, the whole book of Romans up to this point, but I want to at least give you a quick overview of some of the things that we've touched on. In Romans, uh, the beginning of Romans, Paul concentrates uh, his effort on uh, telling us that uh, we are sinners. We are under the judgment of God. We are under condemnation because of our sin. And God describes humanity this way in Romans chapter 1, that they are filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. It is quite a, quite a mouthful, but that describes us. That describes the human race, and because of our sin, as a result of our sin, We are treasuring up for ourselves God's righteous wrath and uh, judgment. Um, And so we are condemned. That's the whole point of the first part of Romans. And then Paul moves uh, further in Romans, and he describes how God justifies the sinner. So the whole world is guilty before God. In order to be made right with God, We must be righteous, as righteous as Christ is, as righteous as God is. And that's impossible for sinners who started out as sinners. The raw material was bad to begin with. And so the only way we can be made righteous is if God steps in and he does something for us and praise the Lord, he did by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place and paid for our sin in full that we might have the righteousness of God by faith. And so there's nothing we can do to earn it, which is what most people think, you know, obey the law or follow the Ten Commandments or, you know, the scale. We talked about the scale. Maybe if I do enough good, it'll outweigh my bad. None of that works. The only way we can be saved, the only way we can be righteous before God is through the righteousness of Christ. And we receive that by faith, by believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And so the whole first part of Romans really is talking about justification, how God declares us righteous through faith in his Son. Then Paul moves into a second subject, and it's another big theological word, it's sanctification. And he now says, okay, now that you have believed on the Lord, how do you live? Do you now go back to the law and follow the Ten Commandments, obey the law? No, the law condemns us. It doesn't help us, it condemns us. So, how do we live then? How how are we set up? Sanctification means to be set apart to God and for God. How, How can we live the Christian life? And it is by his gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer. In and of ourselves, we do not have the power to live a holy life. In and of ourselves, we cannot be righteous. We cannot live righteously. And Paul goes on in great length to describe that for us. But through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are given the ability to live for God. And and God is at work in our life. So, we talk about our position in Christ, that we are complete, we are perfect, we are holy, we are righteous, but we look at our lives and go, uh, no, we're not, because this is our position, but our practice is down here somewhere. But God has a plan for you as a Christian in your Christian life to conform you daily to become more and more Christ-like. And so every single day of your Christian life, God is at work in your life. He is changing you. He is transforming you. And he is giving you the power to live differently than you ever lived before. Um, I love that verse that was quoted in the baptism. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. And so he gives us that perfect position, he knows we are in imperfect practice, and he says, now live for me. And as you live for Christ each day, you become more and more and more Christ-like. That is really what um, the the second part, shall we say, of the book of Romans. So believers are justified, that is, they're declared righteous by God. Believers are sanctified, that is, they are to live righteously for God. God. And um, the next phase of the Christian life is what we're going to discuss this morning, and that is that believers will be glorified. That is a wonderful term Let it stick uh, and press hard in your brain and in your heart this morning. That's where we're going to place our attention. As believers, we are to spend our lives no longer living for ourselves, but living for Jesus Christ. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we come to Christ by faith. We live the Christian life by faith. And by faith we hope, and hope in the Bible means we are absolutely positively sure that we will one day be in his presence and we will be completely changed and free from sin altogether. Jesus said, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my Father, will honor. Do you want the honor of God in your life? Do you want to get to heaven and that the Lord will honor you for having lived your life for him? That's what is being promised here. And really, it's glorification. Believers are justified, they are sanctified, and we will be glorified. Glorification. Let's talk a little bit about that. The Spirit himself, the Bible says, bears witness with our spirit. In other words, he's communicating On a spiritual level with us, He is bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's a wonderful thing. We stopped right there and we we ended the sermon right there. Just Just to know from God Himself, God the Spirit is telling you, you are a child of God. Did you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? Yes, you did. Did you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation? Did you? If you have trusted in Him, you are a child of God. The Spirit of God tells our spirit that we are children of God. How does He do that? Through the Word of God. (laughs) We know that based on what He says in the Word. Well, it's more than that, though. Glorification includes more than just being a child of God. The Bible continues in Romans 8, 16, and 17, it says, um, and if children, really we could say, and since we are children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together we are going to be glorified together with the Lord Jesus Christ. These are statements that are mind-boggling. They, they absolutely blow my mind when I uh, read these things. The Bible says, John, uh, John writes in 1 John 3, 1-3, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, We will be like him. We're not going to look like Christ. Okay? We're not going to be little gods. That's not what he's referring to. But morally, we will be like Christ, forever free from sin. That will no longer be an issue in heaven at all, and we will be like our Lord Jesus Christ. When believers choose to live for Christ rather than to continue in sin, They often suffer persecution, ridicule, derision. They suffer not because of sin, but because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you suffer, and I say it that way, not if you suffer, when you suffer for living for Christ, don't think that somehow God has forgotten you Or that Jesus no longer cares for you. And we're going to look at that more next week. He does love you. He does care for you. And you're going to see the extent of that um, next week. But suffering for Christ is an honor. And it is a privilege. If you live for the Lord, you will suffer for him. It just comes with the territory. For all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. For to you, the Bible says, it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16 says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Many of you have taken a strong stand for the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, many of you have suffered ridicule, contempt, scorn, even from family members and friends who do not know the Lord nor understand why you want to live for Him. Peter reminds us that before you came to know the Lord, you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. But the Lord saved you from that messed up life, didn't he? These were the things that we enjoyed, we said. Now we're ashamed of them. We lived a messed up life before we came to know the Lord. And so the Bible continues and says, of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. In other words, you're doing what is right before God, and they're looking at you, and they're, they're blasting you for it. They're slandering you for it. But it shouldn't surprise us if this happens. Uh, if, when we suffer, when we live for Christ. After all, how did the world treat him? Here you had the most perfect, not the most, the perfect, holy life, uh, lived out in perfection before uh, everyone that he came in contact with. And what did they do to Christ? He was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was wounded. He was bruised. He was lashed with stripes. He was oppressed and was afflicted. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. They crucified him, nailed him to a cross, beat him, put a crown of thorns on his head. They spit in his face. They slapped him. They whipped him. They plucked out his beard. They stripped him of his clothes. They mocked him, ridiculed him, derided him, and crucified him as an innocent man. And he did this for us. If they treated Jesus this way, and he was perfect, how do you think the world is going to treat us if we live for him? We should expect no different treatment. And it shouldn't surprise us if the world treats us this way. Many Christians worldwide are persecuted, imprisoned, beaten, and martyred for their faith in Christ. Jesus taught his disciples that if they followed him, they would share in his sufferings. He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, let's go ahead and put Romans 8.18. This is the start of our passage this morning. Um, And Paul writes here, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So Paul is saying in this verse that no matter what we suffer for the sake of Christ, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how hard the load is to carry, no matter how tough the cross is that we bear, it is nothing in comparison with the, to the eternal glory which is in our future. And in heaven, it's hard right now, looking at suffering, looking at persecution, looking at trouble... But when we get to heaven and we look back at this present suffering, we're going to say, it was nothing. Compared to the glory that I am now in, both in heaven and the presence of God and the glory that he has given to us, all of that suffering was really minuscule in comparison to the glory that is revealed in us or shall be revealed in us. This is particularly moving when we consider Paul's suffering as he served the Lord. You know, Paul had, it was just a theologian sitting in the ivory tower writing something like this for us and saying, well, it's okay, Christians, you know, just sort of suck it up. Everything's going to be just fine. That's not what he's saying. Here is a man who personally experienced more suffering than I know of anybody else. Listen to what he went through, and this is the same person who is writing this that for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us, he says, uh, or he writes about his suffering, he says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. "'Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep,' that is in the waters, "'in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, "'in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren,' In weariness and toil and sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness, and after rehearsing all that he endured for Christ, he says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not to be compared, not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. What have you suffered for Christ? Christ. Like Paul, you know, any sufferings, the Lord takes account of it. He notes it, and he blesses us in the midst of it all. But if that is the suffering, what will the glory be? Okay, that's the whole point. He's making a contrast here. If this is the suffering that we go through on earth, or potentially go through on earth, what will the glory be? Because there's no comparison, Paul said. In Romans 8.19, Paul writes, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. God is going to present believers to all of his creation as the sons of God and he personifies creation here gives a, animates it and is really he's talking about the heavens the earth the animal kingdom the plant kingdom all who have ever lived on the planet the host of angelic beings principalities powers demonic forces indeed all of creation is going to be there to see God reveal His children as His sons. And that includes you. And that includes me. God is going to glorify you before all of His creation. That's what this verse is saying. As the sons of God. We will be on display as the trophies of God's grace. Saved for all eternity. Forever dwelling in the presence of God, and we will look on amazement. All of creation will look on with amazement at what God did for sinners, and we will be glorified in his presence. Does that blow your mind? It certainly blows mine. It's as if right now all of creation is standing on its tiptoes waiting for that glorious day when God reveals who His children really are. Will you be among His children that day? If you have trusted in Him, you will be. If you haven't trusted in Him as your Lord and Savior, why not? Why not? Look at what He's offering to you. Salvation, forgiveness of sins, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Oh, what he has in store for us believers. In 1 Corinthians two nine, it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Why is all of creation eagerly awaiting that day? Well, in Romans 8.20-22, 20 I'm going to actually read this from the New Living Translation. I think it will uh, help clarify some words here. So Romans 8.20 says this, Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. And we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. When Adam sinned in the garden, remember God placed Adam and Eve in paradise. Well, it's not heaven, but it was in a beautiful garden. If you remember the words of the Lord at creation, he made certain things on day one and then on day two and day three and so on. At the end of each day, he said, it is good. And when God says it is good, it's like way beyond good, okay? And then on the last day, he says, it's very good. So that's where they were living, in a perfect place in communion with God, perfect fellowship and relationship with him. Everything was fantastic. And, uh, but when Adam sinned that day in the garden, God cursed all of creation. It wasn't just Adam and Eve that were condemned to die, but every plant, every animal has also suffered the same fate. What plants do you know that survive forever? None. Now, there are some, there are some uh, redwood forests that we visited a week or so ago that's where these trees are like 2,000 years old, but one that we visited that was 2,000 years old was dead. It was already cut on its side. That's how I knew it was 2,000 years old. All of creation is cursed. and, And God even said that. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken... For dust you are, and to dust you shall return." Both man and animal, birds and beasts, every living thing is decaying and dying. Entropy is observed in all creation, uh, which is the gradual decline into disorder. Man's sin ruined God's creation. And all creation is personified in this passage as groaning because death has taken an awful toll, not just on human life, but on all life, on the planet, and on the entire universe. That's how far-reaching our sin is. And all creation is groaning because of this. And Paul describes the groaning as a woman suffering the pains of childbirth, And if you've ever heard it, those are awful sounds. I've heard it seven times. (laughs) The groaning, the sighing, and the sorrow began when Adam and Eve sinned, and they continue to this day. People often ask, and I'm sure you've been asked this question before, why is there so much suffering in the world and in life? Why are there natural disasters it's because Adam plunged, sinned and plunged the entire universe into a disastrous head-on collision with death. This single event is the root cause of all pain, sickness, disease, cancer, deformities, suffering, earthquakes, famines, fire, flood, Drought, disaster, tragedies, everything bad you can think of, it all stemmed from Adam's sin in the garden. Creation longs for the peaceful conditions that originally existed in the Garden of Eden when God pronounced his creation good. The sighing, the sobbing, the suffering world is not how God designed his creation But sin has taken a tremendous toll. But Because of God's grace, he looked at us in our mess. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to suffer the punishment for our sins and set us free from the collision course we were on. And that collision course would have taken us to hell and to the lake of fire for all eternity. And he saves all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. And those whom he saves, he justifies. He declares us righteous. He sanctifies and he will glorify. And all of creation, like I said, is like standing on its tiptoes, waiting for that day when the sons of God will be revealed. Because at that point, everything changes. God will reverse everything that man has done that was so wicked and so terrible uh, to the entire universe. And at that time, God will give us a new body. Oh, praise the Lord for that. I heard Noah say something this morning about he's feeling his age. Well, Noah, welcome to the club. (laughs) Us older people, uh, you know, we feel it. God will give us a new body just like, his, Jesus will, uh, just like Jesus' glorious body. And God himself will be with them and he will be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne, in Revelation 21 it says this, that he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Praise the Lord. And creation right now is groaning for that day. And we as believers also groan within ourselves for the glorious liberty of the children of God. In Romans 8.23, not only that, he says, but we also who have the firstfruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So here Paul says that we already have the Spirit of God. And God gave us His Holy Spirit as the first fruits. Now, we're not farmers, so that term first fruits, unless you know that, was when the farmer would go out to his field at the harvest time and he would gather the first part of his ripened crop, that would be called the first fruits. And really it was meant as an offering to the Lord, to give to the Lord the first fruits of all of your increase. And so Paul is, is saying that the Holy Spirit is like the first fruits, it's God's guarantee of a full harvest. It's God's uh, demonstration that if he's given you the Spirit, then everything else that he's promised is going to happen. It's going to come to pass. The Spirit guarantees that he will deliver us from the presence of sin and its effects forever. How long is forever? I remember an uncle of mine was a gospel preacher and he asked, He he talked about how uh, if we're saved, we're saved forever. And he asked the audience, How long is forever? And a little girl put her hand up and he says, How long is forever? She was probably five or six years old. She goes, It's a long, long time. (laughs) There's no time involved in it, it just goes on and on and on. We eagerly wait for Jesus to return. We eagerly wait for our glorification. And while we wait, we groan, don't we? I wake up and I sigh. (laughs) Lord, when will you come back? When will we be done with sin? When will we be done with pain? When will we be done with suffering? When will the mess on this earth finally be fixed? When will sin cease to exist? (sighs) And we groan within ourselves. Why? Because we don't yet enjoy the full benefits that God promises us. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our complete adoption. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought we were already adopted into the family of God. And that's true. We have been adopted into His family we're just not home yet. okay? We're still waiting for him to come and take us home to be with him. And the Spirit is the guarantee that we will receive our glorified body. What will our new bodies be like? <laughs> not like this. Will we be recognizable in heaven? Oh, I'm sure we will. I think it was the disciples who saw Jesus, and uh, remember at his, um, um, wow, the word, transfiguration. Thank you, man. Um, They saw three people, two of them they'd never met before, but they recognized who they were, okay? Will we be recognized? Sure. Will we be like this anymore? No, gone will be the wrinkles, you know? I don't know if we have hair in heaven, but I'll probably have it, you know? I won't be hunched over. I won't be in pain. I will be free from decay, from cancer, from sickness, sorrow. And my body will be like the body of the resurrected Lord. I can't wait for that. You know, I often have dreams uh, about flying. And the Lord, I don't mean in a plane either. And I don't mean with wings. The Lord, when he left this earth, he just ascended right up from the earth. You know, he defied the laws of gravity. And so we will have a a new body that I'm sure will have some of the same characteristics. If you remember, he was walking on the road with the men on the road to Emmaus. And after he broke bread with them, he disappeared. And he showed up in Jerusalem. And they had to walk all the way to Jerusalem because they still had this body. (laughs) He had a glorified body. May I suggest that the transformation of this body will be something like what happens with a caterpillar. A caterpillar, as you know, is an earthly bug, an earthly uh, creature, but it transforms into a butterfly, a heavenly body. And I believe that God has given us an earthly body, but he has in store for us a heavenly body. Totally different, now they had the same DNA, but it'll be totally different than anything we're used to. And it will be the right kind of body that is well-suited for our eternal home in heaven. Such a transformation will take place. We will have a glorified body that is no longer bound to this earth, but is fit for heaven. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. While we wait, we hope. And as I said earlier, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not like, well, it might happen or it might not. That's what we usually think about when we say hope. Okay? But hope in the Bible is the surest term. It is absolute, it's an absolute guarantee. And so while we wait, we hope. In the Bible, hope is a sure thing. It's going to happen. It's not a question of if, but when. Romans 8, 25 For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. If that day, the day of our glorification, had already come, well, then we wouldn't be here hoping for it, would we? We would see that day. We would look around us and go, praise the Lord, Howard. Praise the Lord, Matt. Praise the Lord, Peggy. Sin is gone. I see you have a new body. I see you're no longer in pain. I see that you are filled with the joy of the Lord, inexpressible. (laughs) We still hope, because that day hasn't come yet. If it had come... We would see that day. Sin would be gone. We would be with Jesus. We'd already be glorified. We'd already be on display as the trophies of God's grace. And all of creation would be made right. So while we wait, we hope. And we wait with perseverance. Perseverance is a fruit of the Spirit. And in this context, it must mean that even if a true believer suffers terrible persecution. They will never give up waiting and watching for the soon return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. It would be absolutely overwhelming if we were left on earth to suffer on our own. Believers suffer from debilitating illnesses, cancer, surgeries, the death of loved ones, mental illness, physical, emotional, spiritual, and psychological turmoil. And at times we feel absolutely weak, wiped out, worn out, tired. And in situations like that, often we we barely know how to pray. The good news is that God has given us His Holy Spirit to come alongside of us, to comfort us, to care for us, And to pray those inward groanings that cannot even be uttered when we don't know which end is up and how to pray. And the Spirit of God then carries the heavy load for us. And because He is God, He comes to our rescue and He intercedes for us. And He keeps interceding for us because we need constant intercession. The one who searches our hearts is God. And as, he, uh, as the Spirit expresses the deepest sentiments that we feel inside but cannot express, he also groans, but he is understood by God the Father. And his voice is strong while ours is weak. His voice is heard while ours may be silent. His requests are answered when we don't even know what to ask. So God has not left us on earth as orphans, waiting for Him to return, but He has given us His Spirit to intercede for us in all the changing circumstances of life. We are not forgotten. We are loved by God. God the Spirit is praying to God the Father On your behalf, take heart, believer, even in the midst of your deepest trials. Romans 8.28, probably the favorite verse, or at least one of the favorite verses of this passage. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Dear believer, right here, Right now, God is at work in your life. God is actively working out the details of every aspect of your life, and He is always, always working all things together for your good. He calls us to fulfill His purposes. And he is actively at work conforming us to the image of his son. But as he works in our life, he is actively removing things that are not Christ-like. And he is adding things that are Christ-like. And so if he's removing things from us, sometimes that hurts. Because we hold a lot of things very precious to us. And things that really are a hindrance to our growth as a Christian. And so he may allow suffering. He may allow heartbreak, frustration, troubles, unfulfilled expectations, tragedy, bereavement, sickness. And we wonder, well, what good could ever come of any of that? But it's all part of the process that we are undergoing as God conforms us to the image of His Son. And He is working all of those things that seem so horrible to us together for our good, that we might be more Christ-like. You know, a couple of years ago, I fell off my roof. I shattered my heel. I went in for surgery. An infection got in in my heel. And uh, the doctor said, well, we didn't get it the first time. We put your heel back together again. You know, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. We put your heel back together again. But it's now infected. And I had to go back in seven more times, eight surgeries altogether. On the seventh surgery, the doctor says to me, you have an infection in your foot. And if we don't get it out in this surgery today, we're going to amputate your leg. And I said, Lord, help. (laughs) I like that leg. It's a matching pair. As a result, you say, well, what good could ever come of that? Why did the Lord allow that to happen to me? Why did he allow me to fall? Couldn't he he have prevented my fall? Couldn't he have prevented the infection? Sure, he could have done all of those things. But he wanted me there in the hospital because it was the beginning of COVID. And the staff were afraid that they were going to die from getting COVID. And nobody could go into the hospital, no visitors, so I was there alone, missed my daughter's wedding, and I ended up having surgery after surgery and talking to the staff about the Lord. I have never in my life ever seen people coming to me, begging me to share the gospel with them, but that's what happened. And everybody on that floor heard the gospel. It was because of that fall that God was also working on some other area of my life that I knew nothing about. I had to go in for blood work because of the infection every two weeks, every two weeks, every two weeks. The hospital made a mistake twice in a row. Week two, week four. And they said, all of a sudden they said, hey, there's something we see in your blood work that's not right. And we are suspicious that you might have cancer. And so they sent me in for more testing, and sure enough, as I mentioned at the beginning, the doctor calls me up and says, you have stage four cancer. There's nothing we can do. There is no cure. You say, couldn't the Lord have prevented that? He could have. But I knew even at the time, I thought, well, Lord, you gave me the privilege of sharing the love of God with the whole staff on the uh, surgery floor. Maybe this is an opportunity for the oncology department to hear the gospel. And so that's what happened. And so I went in for chemo and I went in for two surgeries and I went in for a month of radiation and, and hormone treatments and everybody along the way heard the gospel. And so the Lord causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are the called according to His purposes. Christians, open your eyes. God is at work in your life. He's doing something every day in your life to make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Expect that because he's at work. Romans 8, 29, 30 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified." As we wait for the Lord Jesus, there should be no cause for worry or alarm. His purposes cannot be defeated. His plans are always on time. What he has promised, he will perform. And nothing in the universe can prevent him from accomplishing what he has set out to do. When we look at the enormous sweeping plan that the Lord has set in motion to save you and to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, we praise his glorious name. God had a plan for you before you were even born. Do you know that? That's what this passage is telling me. God's plan is so enormous, we can't even comprehend it. This is what the Bible says happened. This is the history of your salvation. He chose you in Christ. When? Before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. That's when he chose you um, before the foundation of the world. What he said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, he could easily say to us. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. God was at work before you existed. He was at work in putting you together in your mother's womb. In Romans eight twenty nine, we just read, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in Ephesians 1.5, it says he predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And this means that his choice and, his, and predestination were with a purpose. There was a purpose behind it. And that purpose was to conform us, to make us like his Son. Because God wants to populate heaven with people just like his son. Those whom he predestined, these he also called. There was a point in time when that train came into the station. The gospel train, we'll call it. And the Lord said to all who were standing there, just like he says today, All aboard! All aboard! And you said, Lord, I believe. And you got on board. And that train has a one-way direction. It's all the way to heaven. He called you, and you heard his call. You believed in him. He justified you. You trust him. He sanctifies you. And soon, he's coming again, and he will glorify you. Whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. It says that in a past tense, as if it's already happened, because in God's mind, what he promises are, are absolutely true and amen. It's as good as, it, as if it's already taken place. So we end here today, but next week's message continues the thought that God's plans and purposes cannot be thwarted, and nothing... Nothing can ever stand in the way or defeat the love of God for those he has chosen to be his own dear children. I just want to say to you this morning, if you are not already one of his children, if you are not one of the sons of God, you are missing out on the glorious plan of God for your life and for eternity. This is what he says. As many as receive Him, to them He gives the right to become children of God. Will you become one of His children this morning? If you are, glorification is right around the corner. Let's pray. Father, we are just amazed as you speak to us through your word uh, at what you still have in store for us. Lord, if we were saved and simply had our sins forgiven, That would be overwhelming. But Lord, you have so much more in store for us uh, that we will be in your presence, that we will be glorified like your son. Lord, it's almost too much to take in for these puny minds and and bodies. We thank you that you have a plan to glorify us, to, to change these bodies of humility into the glorious body like our Lord Jesus Christ. And we look forward to that day and say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We ask in your precious name, amen.